Thanks for joining us today on Open the Word with Circle of Friends. I'm Missy. And I'm Gwen. And Missy, I was just thinking, I want to open the Word today. Like, awesome. actually open it. So how about if we go to Numbers 27? Um, I actually came across this story in my devotions the other day, and I am still just wanting to sit in it. So <laughs> I thought I'd challenge our readers to, or our listeners to do that, too. I, I love the story of the Daughters of Salaf Ahead. I've <laughs> known about them for quite a few years from my Old Testament professor, uh, Old Testament class where my husband and I took a class together. And at the end of the class, we went in to get our grades and he sort of um, scolded my husband for letting me beat him out. And in a, I don't even know, it's a half a point in our grades or whatever it was. It's <laughs> kind of funny. It's awesome. Yeah, he was Dr. Affman, Dr. Fred Affman. He was a really neat guy, uh, Old Testament scholar. And he loved the mm. story. So he sort of inserted that into me, I think. so. Awesome. Well, it's interesting because, Missy, I don't remember ever having read this story before. I know I have because I've read all the way through Scripture, but it never stuck out to me. Right. It's a little obscure, and you yeah. find those passages yeah. that maybe if you haven't spent, if you don't spend a lot of time as you're reading through, you may miss it. Yes. But it is one that he spent some time in class with us on and so that's why I remember it but oh I'm excited to talk through this one with you then let's see if I can remember I can't wait to find out what he (laughs) might have said about this um so should we just read yeah but if we just do that um I'm not even sure how far down to read but let's go ahead and start in verse 27 and Missy I'll read to maybe verse uh five and then you can kind of pick up how's that um All right, so Numbers 27, verse 1. Then the daughters of, now how did you say the name? Zalafahad. Zalafahad, okay. The son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Mirchir, I don't know. The son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near, and there are the names of his daughter. Mela, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza. Awesome, thank you. (laughs) And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders in all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, okay, first of all, five sisters standing in front of all of these people. Culturally, that wasn't... Pretty bold, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very unusual that they would uh, step forward like that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so they stand before Moses and before Eleazar and the leaders in all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting and say, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting because it's not just, they're not just looking for an inheritance here. I mean, Mm -hmm. probably, yes, culturally that's part of it, but, but they're really talking about their possession of the land Mm -hmm. going forward and what that means for future generations and honestly their tribe they're part of the tribe their their part in the tribe would be totally wiped away so here are five sisters who it's not just about getting land for themselves but they're really considering 
their inheritance in the Lord. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like they're they're forward thinking about where their where their part in identity lies now in the nation of Israel with their father gone. And their children and their children's exactly. children and their children's children's children's. You know, because part of this was not just uh, inheritance. It was division of property and land. It was having a home, a place, an anchor in the nation of Israel. Absolutely. In the promised land. And so if they hadn't have fought for this, their children would not have had a home, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and look, what's, look what happens. I love these verses. Me Moses too. brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, the daughters of Zelophehad are right you shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And his father ha- And if his father has no brothers... Then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule, as the Lord commanded Moses. I mean, they changed a lot of lives right there, those those five sisters, when they went before Moses and the people of Israel. And I'm sure it took, I think it took a lot of courage, but beyond that, I think it took a lot of faith. Like, I think these five women loved the Lord and wanted to follow him and wanted their place in the nation of Israel, wanted their families to have a place in the nation of Israel. They wanted their father's name to continue on, uh, even though they, you know, they married maybe within their own tribe, but still, yeah, they're, you know, the name of their father to live on and, and have that as a possession. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is for a woman back in this time, this was hugely affirming by God that not only did he acknowledge their claim and that it was right, but he changes the laws to prevent this kind of situation from happening, to protect the women in Israel from the death of their father if there, you know, if there's no brothers. And the thing was, the brothers were to take care of their sisters, they were to provide for them. They were to manage the inheritance. Um, and so those women should have wanted for nothing having a brother. Um, but without a, a father or a brother, they, they really had nothing to support themselves and to, um, to make do. And so, like, I just see the protection of the Lord in this. It just was kind of amazing to me the strength that it would have taken to stand up and to come before Moses with this, the affirmation of Moses to listen to these women, mm-hmm. um, and then the affirmation of the Lord and the protection and the validation. I, I honestly sat with this this week and just said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you see me as a woman. Thank you that you're protective of me, just like you were of these women. Thank you that I can trust you to take care of me. Um, you know, when I, I can't see a way through, you're, you'll, you know where I'm at. You know what I'm up against. 
I just, I was so affirmed for myself this mm. week sitting in this passage. It's, it's interesting as you look at this passage, because a lot of the Old Testament is in its cultural setting. And yeah. so you see things that are like a little bit mind-blowing in today's day and age and the, and, and the culture that we live in, maybe not for yeah. everyone who reads scripture, but for me as a, uh, as a woman who's grown up in this country in this time period, it's a little bit beyond my head to even wrap around that culture and the cultural context of how women were treated. But always when I look back to how this passage and other passage where the Lord himself has stood up for women, Jesus, I mean, think of Jesus with the woman at the well. No one else wanted to talk to her, but he went out of his way to go meet with her. I mean, it was a divine appointment, but even so, the his treatment of her and yeah. the way he spoke with her and you think of you think of his time on earth Jesus's time on earth was it his disciples some of his uh, strongest most, most fervent disciples were the women that traveled with them absolutely um you know it's just amazing to me because um culture at that time very much separated the women from the men and men were were given certain privileges and did certain things and could go certain places that women were not allowed even if you look at the temple the outer courts there was the court of women and that's where the women were allowed to be and then other courts there there was a restriction for women um and so you know there was a lot of that kind of stuff present in the culture and you're absolutely right that when christ came he just flipped a lot of that on its ear um that how he treated women and how he approached them and just um even you know missy the woman with the issue of blood Mm -hmm. who had a bleeding issue of some kind for 12 years she would have been thoroughly and utterly ostracized no one was allowed to touch her because she would have instantly made her them unclean by what was going on with her and and literally when she reaches out to touch jesus he turns around and acknowledges her Uh, in that moment his acknowledgement restores her dignity um, he restores her personhood. He restores her presence. I, I mean, he just, that act of acknowledging her publicly, he acknowledged the cleansing and the healing that had happened. Um, but for her personally, I think there was a deeper level where she was seen for the first time mm. in probably 12 years. Yeah, can so, you even begin to imagine what I she'd gone can't through? Uh, again, culturally, a lot of that is hard to even grasp, grasp, get your mind around. But but Jesus's approach and his manner with the woman and other women in his life shows what his heart was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and we're still human. So culturally, what culture ha- has it all right and all perfect? None, not a single mm-hmm. one. Uh, and there are good things about every culture, and there are things that are problematic about every culture, and there reasons for things that we don't even begin to grasp because we don't understand where they originally came from or what they were all of those things so to just kind of wipe that off and say oh well there you have to be really careful with that you have to really be able to open your mind up to understand what the culture was Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing with the culture do you understand what i'm saying i mean people are going to look at our culture and there's a lot to disagree with Mm -hmm. or agree with that's not the point. The point is what is in the culture and how yeah. does that impact the people that live in that culture? Yeah. It's important for context. It's important for 
understanding. Uh, and again, it's it's not up to us to say, well, that culture is whatever. You know, try to understand what it is because yeah. it's the understanding that will help you move forward. Well, and that's in reading the Bible and that's in living our life today for that matter. Absolutely. And you know, Missy, we are very um, prone to say that it can't mean something to us that it did not mean in its original context, yep. in its original time, and when it was originally written. Um, and so you have to understand the context this story takes place in to be able to pull any application out of it. But for its time, this was a truly astounding thing that God does here. Well, and I To give her inherited rights, these sisters inheritance rights. I mean, literally puts them in the line of secession. Exactly. And they in the family. Never have has it been done before. Like right. it's so far out there. The fact that they even came up with it is is a bold, really a bold and courageous move on their part. What it says to me and the reason why I've always remembered this, um, and part of this, you know, part of my story is that I'm when I married my husband, we went off to Bible college, but we went to a college in the South, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a Baptist school, and it had a lot of things about the school that I, I never even considered before, mm-hmm. like women should wear dresses. What? <laughs> I mean, even back then, I was Got like, it. huh? Yeah. You know, kind of. I would kind of turn my head and go, uh, I don't, I don't really get that. That wasn't part of my culture, but it's part of that culture, and. Uh, so there were a lot of, there was a big learning curve for me in terms of, okay, how am I going to navigate this and, and what we walked away from and what we, you know, kind of left behind there, all those things. And what was important for some people was not as important to me, but here's the thing. When I looked at a portion of scripture like this, the thing that it really spoke to me was that God cares about me Yeah. as a woman in my culture. He cared about the daughters of Zelophehad in their culture Absolutely. and he made a way for them. He cares about me today in this culture and he will make a way for me to to become who he wants me to become and to accomplish what he has set out his purpose for me in this time frame and And that's true for future generations as well absolutely and you know missy there's another piece of this too that God gives us freedom to approach him about things. Yes. You know, because what's going on in this story is that Moses talks to God like a man talks to his friend. So literally, like Moses is is best friends with, with God. And so by approaching Moses and the others, she these women are literally bringing their struggle, their request, their dilemma before the Lord. And and what do we see here? We see exactly what God promises in other parts of Scripture, that if we bring to Him our struggles, that not only does He hear and see, but He'll do something about them. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just think it backs up completely what God says in other places in Scripture. God is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, and, you know, I think growing up, for me, Missy, I uh, there was kind of this idea from just the culture of the spiritual culture that the Old Testament, God was... Um, he was more distant from his people. He, you know, he is judgment and harsh at times and, you know, that kind of thing. But I'll be honest with you, as I read the Old Testament now, knowing Jesus like I know him um, and knowing that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, like Hebrews 1 says, um, 
I look back at the Old Testament and I go, wait a minute. Jesus is the heart of the Father. So when I go back to stories like this, you can see the heart of the Father. I can see Jesus with the Samaritan woman in this story. Mm -hmm. I can see the similarity. I can see him seeing her need and meeting it. Well, and don't you think sometimes what happens, because that I, I think you bring up something that, that a lot of us do struggle with. When we read the Old Testament and we see certain things in it that you you don't get, you don't yeah. get the, the cultural reasoning behind it, you don't understand why God would wipe out a people, you right. don't understand why all these things would happen. What we do is we take the situation and we filter who God is through the situation. True. Look, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Rather than... Seeing who God is and then filtering it to the situation. And the right. thing is, if I don't understand the cultural implications or the reasoning behind those things, what I what I do is I go back to what I know about who God is. Yes. And I say, God is loving, He's kind, He's merciful. Merciful. He's all knowing. He He is He judges righteously while man, man does yeah. not. I mean, all these things are true. So knowing that then there's something in the story that I'm missing. Yep, Do you, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, and it's okay for me not to know. It's okay for me to kind of set that in, on a shelf and say, Lord, that's a tough passage for me. I don't get it. But I know who you are. Yep. And I believe that you, you know, one day it'll be explained to me when I get to heaven. But right now I don't, I don't get it. But I know who you are and I'm standing and trusting absolutely. in the character of who you are because you promise that you change not. The God that I know in the New Testament, as you said, is the God in the Old Testament. You might have to look a little harder for him, and you and you might have to set some passages aside, and that's okay. But don't don't translate the Bible. Don't uh, look at circumstances and go, oh, well, God must be X, X, Y, and Z because look at the circumstances. No, that's doing it backwards. Right. And a lot of times we look through our cultural lens. Yes. And we read scripture and understand it through that. And you can't do that. You can't do that. It will lead to misunderstandings and misinterpretations of passages. You have really got to try to put on the cultural lenses of the times and the context of that story. You've got to put that on as your primary lens looking at um, to observe the passage and to observe the text, you have to wear that cultural lens mm -hmm. because that's the only way it makes true. Of um, you can make the the proper interpretation of what's yeah. going on, you know. And then once you have that proper interpretation, then you can walk it into application. You can walk it into your life and how the themes that apply and the ways that it works into your life and what you can learn from it and mm. use from it. Um, and so that is just so important. And Missy, I love that we're talking about this with context too, you know, because, um, you know, culturally looking at this, you know, you could, you could, you know, there's just, there's pieces in some of these Old Testament stories, especially around women, because whether we realize it or not, we have been impacted by women's movements, um, in the United States and in culture at large. And so a lot of times we have feminist glasses that we don't even realize we wear. Mm -hmm. And when we read scripture, some of that stuff kind of kicks in our gut and we're like, oh, oh, you know, and we struggle. And, and you can't wear a feminist eyeglasses to look and understand some of these passages because the feminist movement didn't start 
until, you know, a couple generations ago. It's not like it it existed way back then. Um, And so you have to look at how um, Jewish women were treated, actually, at the time. God set up rules and laws that even before this addition, Olah, um, women were treated better in the Hebrew culture than they were in any other culture in existence. That's what we have to understand is that setting up where um, the men in her world were her protectors, that was incredibly um, protective for women. Um, it provided for them. It created homes and safety for them. It gave them a... Um, Oh, Missy, I'm missing that word. But it was just, it was her safe nest, so to speak. Well, and what we would find, like, oh, in our independence, yes. which uh, both both as an American and as a woman, yeah. you know, I don't mm-hmm. need a man kind yeah. of a thing, our reaction is so totally different than what we're really looking at. This, yeah. this was something really wonderful for a woman yes. to have a father, to have a brother, to have in the Hebrew culture for have kinsmen read, you know, the kinsman redeemer, kinsman redeemer. The, yep. the kinsman that surrounded her and helped her because really there was no other way. Women didn't have careers back then. Yeah. You didn't, you know, you think of the ways, um, some of the stories in the Old Testament, remember the, the widow with the young son yeah. and she was just going to die because she didn't have a way to care for her son. And the prophet came and said, fill your, all the jars, borrow from the neighbors, fill yeah. them up. And then she was able to sell that and, and get through that the drought, the yeah. drought. There was a drought going on, yeah. or something. That that season of life for her, she would, yeah. she had no other way. Well, and then you have Hagar. You know, she. I mean, we we come to the story where we we find her. She's run away, and she's got her son, and she's at a well, and she literally puts her son on the other side, of far away from her, so she doesn't have to watch him die. I mean, you can kind of see the same desperation. Like, you know, she she's. She's got no hope uh, outside of the protections of that family unit. Um, and so she's truly left to just on her own to try to make her way. Um, and so you understand then why God looks at her and says, go back, go back. And why she can look at him and say, you are the God who sees me. Um, and then the promises of inheritance that are given to her son at that moment. Um, and so literally what she's given in that moment is God is assuring that she'll be taken care of. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. But she'll be taken care of and she doesn't need to worry long term. Um, and so, oh, yeah, Missy, the, the role of femininity and how it's been impacted by the women's movement and some of those key pieces Ooh, and, and, you know, how it's been impacted by sin, you know, as God designed it to be and as sin impacted it and then as the, as it should be redeemed, you know, um, our femininity is something that is talked about actually quite a lot in scripture through biblical examples, like women, like Abigail and these sisters and, um, there's a Syrophoenician woman who uh, is very pivotal in one of the in the lives of either Elijah or Elisha. <laughs> I can't remember which one, um, but in their lives, like she actually goes to her husband and says, "Hey, this is what I want to do," and he goes, "Do everything in your heart." And so she literally takes it upon herself. She designs an upper room, builds it, and sets it all up. And when he comes to town, she says, "Hey, I got a place for you to stay." 
Um, and then he ends up at another interaction in her life, raising her son from the dead and, you know, providing for her. And then, so there's just all of these sweet interactions that, uh, where God takes care of her through the hand of the prophet. Um, but it's a woman who manages her domain beautifully. Um, you know, you have Abigail who, uh, David was actually protecting her family in the raids. He was, he was protecting their flock and their, their workers and their household. And her husband was a fool. And so he refused the portion that should have been coming to David for that protection. Um, and so, honestly, David was completely within rights culturally to go destroy her household. And David was on his way to do that. She she actually sneaks into their storehouses, pulls the best stuff, and starts putting it together. Her husband finds out, and he gets so mad, he literally dies of a heart attack. According to what the scriptures say, that's what it looks like. Um, and so he literally dies, and she goes, and she... Um, she presents this stuff to David. When David hears that her husband's died, keep in mind, head of the household dies. She's not protected anymore. David goes and he marries her and brings her into his household and provides for her for the rest of her life. He honors her, the actions of integrity that she took to protect her household and her domain. Um, and so there's so many of these beautiful biblical stories of women who honestly have done awesome along the way. You have the story of Rahab who protects the spies and God literally puts her in the lineage of Christ in the lineage of the Messiah who will save his people from their sin. Um, and so you have some of these beautiful examples of God's heart towards women. And honestly, as women, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we do either. And I think we do both with cultural lenses. And then the, as you mentioned, the feminist movement, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little tough for us because we'll look at some of these passages and think, Oh, women were treated terribly. Well, mm. okay, stop just a minute. Again, consider the culture and look at what God has done through women throughout the Bible yeah. and how he has approached them, loved them. I mean, he created us. Mm. That's what you have to go back to, not Absolutely. what the world is saying, not what the feminist movement or any other movement is saying. What does God say yeah. about women and what does God say about us individually in particular? Yeah. And, you know, Missy, the other piece is some of us walk with broken femininity. Um, and, you know, that's something that maybe another podcast at another time we'll talk about. But that part of us can be very broken and very underdeveloped and very um, twisted and warped within us. And so sometimes there needs to be some redemption work in our lives mm. when it comes to our femininity. Yeah, and I think there's there can come with a lot of times with the brokenness or abuse or things like that, a lot of anger at men, yeah. and so absolutely that's a cultural thing, and yeah. it's it's also part of a movement. So we yeah. have to be careful not to get caught up in something that really, as you said, it needs it needs redeemed. It's that's that's not oh that's not the kernel of the truth of who God made us to be. That's Correct. something that has come against us. So. While you can see the, the, the problems in it uh, and the pain in it, mm -hmm. you have to remain true to who God made us to be and what he expects of us and what he longs for us because his way is perfect. Yes. It always comes back to that, doesn't it, Gwen, that God yes. is perfect. 
and he created man. Man is the one that's messed up. <laughs> I mean, we, we twist that around all the time, and we look at men and circumstance, and then we say, oh, well, God isn't loving. He's not this, because we're looking at ourselves. Right. So it's all backwards. You can only get it right by looking through the lens of God's word and yes, who he absolutely. is and who he tells us he is in the word of God. Yes, and who he tells us we, we are. are. Absolutely. You know, because honestly, the most accurate view of ourselves is the view that God has of us. Because mm. he sees us as we truly are. Love it. Thanks for joining us in our discussion today of these precious women. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.